Hello, hello, pet people. Welcome to the Petropolis Podcast. I am your host, Taz. Today's guest is Dan Reitman. He is the founder of Dan's Dog Walking and Pet Sitting. Dan is also a serial entrepreneur, which is why I wanted to do this interview with him. He has started multiple nonprofit and tech companies while running and structuring Dan's Dog Walking and Pet Sitting to run seamlessly. Dan is talented and multifaceted. He's also in the process of doing a documentary called Hot Dogs, and he has a podcast called Let's Talk About Cool Animals, which is a really cool podcast. So for all of you out there who may be looking for a change in careers or were unfortunately furloughed or, or lost your position because of everything that's happening and are considering going into the pet sitting or pet care business, this is the episode you should definitely listen to. Dan is full of great information and wisdom. His company is not just a hobby. His company has over 40 employees and it's growing. One of the interesting things that Dan said to me was that he wants to be the Coca-Cola of pet care. So check out Dan Reitman's interview. Let me know what you think. Don't forget to subscribe. And thank you for listening. Hello, pet people. We are here today, or I am here today. We aren't, but I am here today with Daniel Reitman of Dan's Dog Walking and Pet Sitting. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Your business is currently headquartered across Long Island, New York. Is that accurate? That is correct. Wonderful. And the reason I wanted to speak with you and interview you was because you label yourself as a serial entrepreneur. Yes. Um, You seem to have delved into a variety of businesses but the main business is in the pet industry, is working with animals and their people in dog walking and pet sitting. So I wanted to kind of get a grasp on what a serial entrepreneur is all about as far as you are concerned. Um, My understanding is that you guys start things up and then hand it off and start the next thing. Yes. And wanted to touch on all all the industries that you've worked in some very interesting smart line um nonprofit hope for hope uh you have uh, a joint venture 94 jewel studios yes. is that correct? A production and studio in brooklyn production. i was running with a friend of mine wonderful and then high performance edibles yes right? i love anything edible so <laughs> i definitely want to touch on that <laughs> and i also recall the reason why I even uh, became connected to you was I saw a post that you had done that you had put up about doing a CBD documentary. Yes. Pop dogs. I have my, uh, my producers actually right over here, our director, cinematographer, producer, and all of those things. We'll introduce him and grab him as well. And and we could talk to him about pop dog. Yes. Even though CBD is not, THC 
or on, it, on with OPP or whatever this. A lot of people got honest about that. Honestly, the, the main thing was it's a catchy name. So the, the full title of the documentary is Pot Dogs, a, a documentary about the use of CBD in pets. Um, pot Dogs, Hot Dogs, it's catchy. Um, also, one of the things I've learned is if it stirs up a little bit of um, online arguing back and forth, it never hurts in terms of getting a little bit more engagement. But at the end of the day, the, the series is about the use of CBD in, uh, in people's pets and the benefits of it and, you know, the industry. It, uh, it unfortunately was put on a bit of a hold, like okay. the rest of the world has been. Um, but yeah, it started out of, you know, Moro and I were talking about this a while ago about how, you know, this is becoming a much more mainstream product, you know, CBD and anything, anything cannabis related five years ago, people kind of look at you sideways. People, you know, it's, oh, it's pot, it's illegal, it's this, it's that. And it's, you know, I look at this as, you know, the cannabis industry is the, the gold rush of the current, of this current generation. This is like getting into steel. This is like getting into alcohol. You know, this is going to be one of the next multi, multi, multi billion dollar industries. And uh, it's something that people obviously are now taking it seriously. But, you know, years ago when I was getting really interested in it, it, it was, uh, you know, even my parents were like, oh, you know, you should do this, you should do that. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting to watch the whole industry evolve, for sure. What do you think of the mass number of companies that have just sprung up within a two year time frame without any... I mean, you've clearly done some research, right? And, and, oh, and absolutely. There's just been this mass increase of brands. What do you think of this? Tell me, tell me your thoughts. I think it is like any new hot trend. There's always going to be the people who come running to make some money. And I think there are a tremendous number of fantastic companies out there who take what they do incredibly seriously. They do the research. They get all their products tested. They're very transparent. And then there are these fly-by-night companies who are out producing content and talking about stuff, not really backing things up with facts, maybe not producing the highest quality product. Um, you know, it's like any industry. You're going to have people who come in because it's a money grab. You're going to have people who have been passionate about whatever that, you know, industry is for a lifetime. Then you have people who are, you know, good business people who see an opportunity, but know that doing it right is, is the best way to succeed. So yeah, there's, there's been a tremendous explosion in the industry and, you know, the beauty of capitalism is at the end of the day, the market will support the companies that the market supports and the ones that don't deliver on their products. Yeah, they'll, they'll succeed for a year, maybe two, but over time, you know, the, the high quality brands are going to rise to the top and, you know, you're going to eventually have the Coca-Colas and Pepsis and stuff like that, the mass produced stuff. Then you're going to have the more kind of niche um kind of like a uh i'm blanking on the phrase the like craft brew mm -hmm. and then you're gonna have you know people who make stuff at home and i think the cannabis industry is going to be like that you're gonna have your home growers you're gonna have your mass 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 producers and then you're gonna have people who are making craft product um i think it's uh the industry is incredibly young still um i think it's got a, a long way to go before maturation but it's uh it's gonna be cool to watch it and you know i've put a couple of projects on hold in terms of the on the product side of things and was kind of getting itchy about not being in the industry and so this documentary was a great way for us to kind of jump back in and um you know the real goal here of the documentary is to interview the leaders in the industry interview people who are creating the products people who are legislating the products 
people who are consuming the products and then disseminate the facts. That's, that's really the whole point of what we want to do. And, uh, you know, we're excited because I think there's some very interesting stories we're going to learn. Um, but the main goal of this was to create a documentary for pet owners to be able to become informed about the products, what to look for, and, you know, how to safely educate themselves and safely give these products to their pets without, you know, putting their pets in harm's way. How did you, did you start doing interviews? Did you start your interview process? We did. Um, we started preliminary interviews. So we've been doing a lot of things over Skype. Um, we were planning on, we were actually supposed to be traveling within the next like week or so. Um, but obviously mm -hmm. th those plans have Not all been really canceled. Yeah. So we, we put, we, you know, we put this kind of on pause um, for the meantime until we have a better idea of when we could start getting back out there because, you know, different states across the country are dealing with this in all sorts of different ways. So we want to wait till things normalize before we hop on a plane and start bouncing around state to state. Do you know how you're going to disseminate fact from marketing when it comes to CBD in the pet industry? Um, yeah, I, my background, so I, I was a biology major in college. I studied biology and entrepreneurship. Um, and so really going and taking the data from actual research studies and stuff that are coming out of universities and not just taking facts that are given to us by companies because, you know, I've, I've run businesses for a long time and I know how easy it is to make a one pager. It's, you know, the, the beauty of statistics is you can make them say whatever you need them to say. It's numbers. Numbers can be interpreted in all sorts of different ways. And, um, you know, we're going to take the information people give us and then we're going to cross reference it with actual science and facts that's backed up and that's been studied and that's been, um, you know, uh, research across an industry where you've got peer reviewed studies and things like that. We want to make sure that, you know, we can take all the information out there and not just spit back the marketing key phrases that the companies want. It's, you know, sharing the, the right information for people. And, you know, unfortunately, because of how young the industry is, there's not nearly as much research out there already. Um, but we're hoping that as we're progressing through this, more and more research will be coming out. And that is why we are we're really trying to loop in um, people in the scientific community as well. Um, we've been in communication with a lot of veterinarians at universities across the country, um, researchers, and really trying to get the, the full perspective of this industry from all parties involved in it. Wonderful. And where are you going to go with this once you have it completed? It's a great question. Um, we are probably going to enter it in some film festivals. Am I, am I right on that one? I'm getting a nod. Um, and, uh, you know, we might shop it around. We'll see if, uh, if somebody wants to pick it up. Great. If not, uh, we'll, be, we'll be putting it out. Like, the, the ideal goal here is for this to get picked up by one of the big guys, um, just so we can have maximum reach at the end of the day. Because I think if one of the things that we've noticed in, in our research is there's no there's no great piece of video content out there. Like, there's a ton of videos on YouTube that people have put together. Um, and I think all that is great, but I think having something that you're able to put out there that is, you know, deeply cross-referenced and fact-checked and is coming from a more reputable source, like one of the big streaming platforms, ideally, um, and just, ha you know, being able to reach a greater audience and educate the most people we can. Okay. Well, you answered my questions. Thank you. You're welcome. So, let's go to all your other projects. Yes. Should I not call them projects? You can call them whatever you want. 
Okay, cool. So you have Dan's dog walking and pet sitting. So that's been the staple business. Is that accurate? That is, that is my baby. That is my, my first, what I call my first grown up business. Um, I started when I was 22 years old. So that has been the business that's grown with me. Um, and it's also allowed me to pursue all the other things that I have pursued. You know, it's funded my other companies. It's helped fund my nonprofit. Um, and it's, it's given me tremendous, tremendous freedom. Um, really? Oh, yeah. So tell me, because you, you, before, before I started recording this, you said that you like to control things. Yes. You like to have control. And a company like this, I've seen other pet walking and pet sitting services kind of fly by night and all the dot coms are, I would be uncomfortable as a, as oh, a yeah. dog owner and allowing them to come into my home. Can you talk about what you do to make sure their safety, your training processes, and how have you made it simple so you can have freedom to do other things? And are you looking at franchising? Um, franchising is something I'm thinking about. It's, you know, I'm still very much on the fence about it because at the end of the day, I brilliantly put my name on the business. So no matter what, I need to protect that brand. Um, so I have a vested interest uh, in seeing that it is a brand that is respected and trusted. And that's been the cornerstone of what I've built. Um, when I started this business, I, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial. As a kid, you know, I used to go with my mom to Costco and I'd buy like candy bars and sell them on the school bus. I paid my way through college by buying and selling textbooks and selling concert tickets. Um, I used to go to garage sales all the time and flip stuff on eBay. Like I've, I've always been entrepreneurial, but never really realized it. Um, I took some time off of college and was supposed to go back for my junior year. Car was packed. I decided I'm not going. Um, my parents were like, that's fine. Got to get a job. So I went into our local animal hospital we've been going to for years. And I asked him if he had any volunteer positions open because I was looking to go to vet school. And he said, no, but I have a full-time job available to train you. And that single decision has completely altered the trajectory of my life. Um, so thank you, Dr. Henriksen at Manhasset Animal Hospital for everything. Um, and so, yeah, I started there. Um, I completely lost track of what we were just saying. I'm so sorry. It's okay. We were talking about Dan, uh, Dan's uh, dog walking and pet sitting and franchising, specifically franchising and um, why or why not, uh, actually why you, you're not there yet with going forward with franchising. So one of the things that was the hardest thing to do as a business owner in this industry, which I'm sure many, many, many other company owners have gone through, hiring my first employee, that was rough because you know this is different from doing electrical work in someone's home, plumbing work in someone's home. Like Those are all very, very, very important things. But at the end of the day, you're taking care of someone's family member. And if somebody is trusting you enough to let you in their home and care for their pet, that's, that's a huge thing. And I realized that and recognized the importance of that almost immediately when I started. I was like, oh, all right, they, they trust me, but that's a trust that can be easily, easily ruined. Um, so in the beginning, you know, I was very, very, very hands-on with every single employee. You know, I, they would go through days of training with me. Now, things weren't standardized back then when I first started. Um, you know, they would shadow me on walks. I would, you know, go through all of our protocols. Now, since then, we've got a very, very robust training protocol that all employees go through. So we have a 
we have a three-step interview interview phase where they first do a phone interview, then they do an in-person interview, and then we do another follow-up interview. Um, and then training, they first come into the office. We do about a three-hour in-office training seminar where we go through all of our standard operations, all of our train, our um, safety protocols and things like that. We go you know, as deep as we break down every single type of leash, collar, and harness they're going to encounter, what to do if there's a dog bite, what to do if you know a, a dog gets off leash, or if you're with a dog and you see a dog that's gotten off leash, what do you do? Like, We, after being in this business for 10 years, we've amassed a, a pretty hefty list of potential scenarios because at the end of the day, while I can't be at you know hundreds of homes, I can ensure that the decision-making process and the safety protocols that I practice will be implemented by my team. So on top of all the training we do in office, we do you know three to four days of field training where they're shadowing and working with one of our team members. And then beyond that, we do we have um, field managers who their main job is to it's quality assurance. They go around from house to house on random schedules and they'll drop in on employees, they'll wait for them at clients' houses, they go and check to make sure that doors are locked, they make sure that lock boxes are scrambled. We like we we are very, very on top of things like that because at the end of the day, if your staff aren't being checked on, it's very easy for people to kind of like cut corners and things like that. And you know, I'm very lucky. I, I have an amazing, amazing team of people. Um but at the end of the day, it's, it's really about quality assurance. And so from a customer standpoint, knowing that not only do you have a management team in office, you've got a team of people on a daily basis checking in to make sure the employees are doing everything the right way. Well, amazing people don't come along on their own. They, you, know, you teach and you guide and there's leadership that gets amazing to amazing. So um, you have to have that mindset and clearly your client base, I mean, you're in you have a very affluent client base in the areas that you're serving on Long Island. So there's a certain kind of demand. Yes. Is that accurate? Yeah, they're comfortable. Yeah, they're comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and do you do any kind of background or criminal checks with your, uh, st with your employees before you hire them? Yeah, we do a background check on our team. Um, and then we also check into references and things like that. Um, uh, but also a big part of it is bringing our full management team in on the interview process. So we'll alternate who does phone interviews. We'll have one or two managers sit on one interview and then we're constantly evaluating our team. You know, it's, if you have the job, you're not keeping the job just because we hired you. If you're not, you know, following protocols, we have a very robust, um, kind of tracking system to ensure that people are maintaining all the right steps and taking all the right precautions when they're doing their job. And if they're not following through on things, we'll send people home as a warning. Um, and if it happens, a couple, you know, multiple times, then you know, we'll terminate them. Um, but it, it's something that I, I am not willing to compromise on. You know, it's like, oh, it's just a little mistake, or oh, it's just that. Like, no, you know, that mistake could result in something really, really bad happening. Yes, this time nothing did happen, but I can't risk it happening again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things about our company overall that has made us successful is people realizing how seriously we do take this business. This is not just, a, oh, you know, I go and walk dogs. It's no, like I've, I've built a pretty robust operation over the span of 10 years because of how seriously I do take it because I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh my God, is this happening? Or, you know, I'm on vacation and I'm checking in and I like, I'm never off. Like it's, I get to do a lot of things and I get some mobility, but 
my brain is never not thinking about this business because, you know, unlike a lot of other companies I, I've been involved with, this is something that if you make a mistake, an animal can die. Um, you know, in software, all right, you know, the software, the app crashes, we're not in healthcare, no one's going to die. Um, it, it is the most important thing in the world is to ensure that the safety and well-being of not only you know, our clients, pets, and our staff, making sure that their their homes are secure. Like we take this stuff incredibly, incredibly seriously. So let's go back to the franchising. You don't yes. want to put your, when your name has to go on something um, and someone else is running the show. I mean, the, the reason why I'm bringing up franchising, I keep kept bring, keep bringing it up is because it was on, on one of your websites. So yeah, I guess I gotta. I have to update my personal site. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, your need to be completely comfortable with the whole process. And is this is this something? Is your company something that could be franchised? Can you teach this? Um, is this a doable thing, or can you license it? There are other people out there like you. Um, they may not have your mind and your ability. But for my they, charm. they want to. And <laughs> can you supply those tools to them to be able to get to the level that you're at? Um, yes, it's absolutely feasible. Um, it's something that I have definitely thought about. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, what my end goal is, is I want to be owning and running the largest pet care company in the country. You know, I, I want to be the Coca-Cola of pet care. Um, you know, you've got the big tech companies, you got WAG and Rover, and I think they've done an amazing thing from a staffing standpoint, um, because that's one of the biggest issues in this industry is finding quality people and being able to um, maintain a large employee base. Now, I think, because I've actually even seen it where a lot of potential candidates staffing wise are doing things like WAG and Rover, and I think it's great if you're just doing this on the side, but you know, you know, for many people in our industry, we are unfortunately all too familiar with the horror stories of platforms like Wagon Rover, because, you know, as long as you don't have a criminal history, you can get on there. And, you know, people look at dog walking or pet sitting. It's like, oh, you just put the dog on the leash or, oh, you just, you know, take him for a walk. But it's like, there are so many scenarios that, you know, when I first started, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. And if you've got somebody who this isn't their business and they're, you know, making whatever X dollars per hour, it might not be worth their time to deal with the headaches or stay up late and deal with, you know, making sure that, you know, if a client's out of town, you got to bring the dog to the ER and you're there till six in the morning or, you know, making sure that, you know, a senior pet is okay. So you wake up and you drive 45 minutes to a client's house to make sure that the dog is okay, just because you were a little bit worried about them. They're not going to be doing that, I think, for the most part. Um, and building a company where that is a main focus of the culture. And that's that's one of the things in the last few years I've really started to focus on is building that culture where, you know, not only do I want to build the largest pet care company in the country, I want to build a company that people are genuinely proud of and are happy to be a part of. You know, that's why we try to do a lot of things in terms of giving back to the community, doing fundraising, and being a positive member of the community that employs us. Because if you're willing to trust us to come into your homes, care for your pets, I think it is our responsibility as business owners to give back to that community. What do you offer to your employees? Do you offer healthcare, any kind of retirement? What do you offer that they would want to work for you? Because, you know, good people kind of expect a little bit of a higher uh, 
level of value and compensation. So we, we do try to compensate our staff at a higher rate than uh, you know most companies do. We, we have a lot of opportunity for growth within the company. So we have a multi-tiered staffing system where they can grow to multiple levels that come with systematic raises and things like that. Um, there's potential to grow to the level of field manager. I also really look to develop talent from within the company. So Moro, the guy right over here, um, he started off walking dogs. And what was it, your, your first day? His first day at the office, um, I found out that he edits videos. So I was like, all right, let's go to Best Buy. And I, we spent like a thousand bucks on like a bunch of GoPro equipment. And him and I have been making videos ever since. Um, and during this, you know, the COVID thing, we, we got our paycheck protection um, loan. And so I was able to put a couple of other team members to work. So one of my guys is a fantastic writer, has been churning out articles day in and day out. Another team member is, um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time doing social media marketing and things like that. But as the business is growing, I can't spend as much time on that as I want to. So I got to put one of my team members to work on that. We have another team member who um, we're going to be probably implementing some photography uh, services as well through him. And um, I really try to bring them in on the growth of the company because I want them to feel like they're, a, you know, not feel like I want them to be a part of it because this company is nothing without my team. It, it, it would just be me trying to walk a couple hundred dogs a day, which is not, I've tried it. <laughs> it's not feasible. Um, in the long term, so, you know, our management team, um, you know, we, we have health benefits and things like that for them. We're actually in the process of looking into um, being able to offer health insurance for our staff or they could buy in on a large plan that we're looking at. Um, but that's something that's going to be coming down the line later this year. So as you grow, that's going to that aspect of the business will develop and you'll be able to offer more. And oh, absolutely. Okay. One, of the, one of the best investments I've made in my company was um, I brought on a uh, HR consultant. Um, she was a client of mine for years. She was actually one of my very first clients and has been become one of my most trusted people that I work with. She has helped completely overhaul our staffing. You know, we've overhauled our management team. We have, she's just been one of the best possible things that could have happened to this company because I'm not a manager by, by training by any means. Um, a lot of this was trial by fire. Um, I can deal with people, but I was not always the best people person when it came to dealing with my staff. Um, it, it took a lot of growing over the, especially the last like four or five years as I've grown from, you know, we had a, I had a handful of employees, my second or third year in business, but like, you know, we're up to almost 45 people now. Um, and that change was a, that was a huge shift from what I was used to doing before. I was intimately involved in everyone's lives. You know, I was very close to all my employees and I do try to be close with my team members now um, because it's important to me that they know I care about them as people and not just as cogs in a wheel. Um, because I think that if somebody works for you and they know you actually care about them, they will work hard for you. Um, no one's gonna work hard for the guy that screams at them and is condescending. Um, that's just, I don't know who taught people that that's the way to get things done. Unless you're paying people an exorbitant amount of money, um, you really can't get away with it. And even then people jump ship. And you know, investing in your people and taking care of your team is, is one of the best things you can do. So, you know, we, as we're growing, obviously the business has a lot of expenses. So, you know, our, our budgets have been a little tighter, but we try to, you know, host events. We do like a summer kickoff barbecue. I think last summer we got a, um, I rented an ice cream truck for the team. We did a nice barbecue down by the beach. Uh, we do like holiday parties, taking bowling, paintball. 
which I'll never do again. I'll never put um, a bunch of paintball guns in my employees' hands ever again. That was a, a terrible idea on my part. Um, but, you know, it's important that not only is it a job, but it's a job that they have fun with. It's a job that they um, are passionate about because that's one of the biggest things when we're hiring people. If somebody is not, you know, if their main questions in an interview are about money, the interview is basically over. We'll continue the interview, but we need to, know, like, obviously you're here to make money. That's why everyone works a job. I want to know that you're here because you genuinely care about animals and that level of care is going to be the thing that makes you spend the extra couple of minutes to make sure the dog's okay or going back to double check that the door is locked or making sure that, you know, did I give the right, you know, did I give the right medication or did I do this? Just that extra thought is that comes from passion. That comes from a level of caring that, you know, it's not always the easiest thing to find for find. And sometimes people, you know, they want to rush to get employees never, ever, ever, ever do that. You know, I, I've done it too. I've made mistakes. I've hired people I shouldn't have hired. Um, you learn those lessons very fast because they can be incredibly expensive lessons. But at the end of the day, take time and find people that align with your beliefs as a business owner and align with, you know, your company culture in terms of the way they look at their, their role. So just want to clarify something. You're not just dog centric. You also do cats Rabbits, you guys handle all animals, yes. almost. Yeah, almost. If they can have it in their home, we will take care of it. Okay. The, uh, the other day, actually later today, I'm going to be going to take care of um, some chickens in a client's home. They've got a, a couple of new little little guys that they're going to be egg chickens that they're going to be living at their house, and uh, they're they're really cute. We've got, I'm trying to think, giant tortoise that we've taken care of, um, all sorts of lizards, fish. Um, some mini horses, peacocks, um, yeah, you name it, as long as, you know, we're not putting anybody in danger, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll care, but we haven't had anybody call us with a tiger yet, but. And you um, shouldn't. <laughs> and you shouldn't. <laughs> not in New York State. No. <laughs> okay, so we have, uh, we have your dog walking and pet sitting business. You're looking to expand that. You yes. are going to you're planning on being the biggest and best in the US. Yes. When is that going to start happening? When is that process going to start taking place? From Long Island to where? Uh, the next few years. So we are going to be, we're, we're in the midst of developing our platform right now, which is the primary focus of what we're doing. Um, we are really trying to get this to become a well-oiled machine. So where we do have a high level of automation implemented so that we as a management team can focus on the things that computers can't do, which is ensuring that anything that needs to be escalated for customer service, we are dealing with that in a much more timely manner. We're not wasting time on a lot of administrative stuff. And then, um, you know, we've done expansions before. So we expanded up to Connecticut a few years ago and we closed that branch down temporarily, but we've really been kind of sharpening our rollout plan because it's really about being able to get yourself into community build relationships because that's really the, the base of this is you, you can't just walk into a community and assume everyone's going to trust you. You, yeah. you go and you need to prove that trust. Now, you know, we're going to be building on the brand. So by expanding to areas that surround where we are, people will know people doing it through referrals. So we do have a, a pretty robust plan on that side. Um, but in terms of scaling, it's going to be over the next, you know, three to seven years is when you're, you're probably going to start seeing us popping up on, on your radar, at least on the East coast. And then, uh, we'll see what happens from there. Okay. Great. Wonderful.
Um, let's talk about your other businesses, Smartline, uh, High Performance Edibles. Uh, since you are a serial entrepreneur, tell me about those. And uh, Smartline, I found very interesting. Cut to the front line, the front of the line at a restaurant and help a charitable organization. I love stuff like that. I think that's brilliant. And uh, if you could touch on that a little and go to Hope for Hope, which is absolutely amazing so, uh, organization. Smartline actually would have never happened if it wasn't for this business, uh, for Dan's, Dan's dog walking. Um, I met my partner, Brian, um, we were working out at the gym and, you know, he saw my shirt cause I'm always wearing my branding. Um, he told me he was in need of our services. He had a, um, it was an elderly min pin. It was about 14, 15 years old. And he was having some issues in the house where he was having accidents. So he set up the garage, made it beautiful for the dog. Very, very safe and, you know, warm. And it was like a finished garage. Um, because he had an 18 month uh, old son at home who was crawling around and he, the dog was having accidents and it was his son got sick, unfortunately, and he, he's okay now. Um, so he, they hired me, I came over to the house and we hit it off because I could just tell he was a very like minded person. And at the time, I, I was working on another app, I can't remember what it was, but he had an idea for something um, similar to what I was doing. And I, I still remember we met at the town dock to discuss our idea. And I showed up with a non-disclosure agreement because, you know, I was paranoid about anything. Um, <laughs> and we hit it off. And from there, you know, I brought in a, a friend of mine that I grew up with who worked in the restaurant space. And so we set off on building an app. And that app was a waitlist management platform for the restaurant industry. Um, so for those of you who've been out to a restaurant in the last couple of years, you'll probably get, you get to the front of the line, the host will ask you for your name and your phone number, you'll probably get a text or they'll ask you to download an app. We were one of the first companies who did that. Now what we did was we, and what I try to do with all my businesses is incorporate some aspect of social responsibility. So we inserted a ghost spot every 10 spots in line, and we would pair restaurants with different charities. So rather than, you know, trying to grease the major D, you can make a donation to that charity and skip to the front of the line without disrupting any other waiting guests. And the restaurants got our platform for free. Charities raised money and, you know, it improved the customer experience. We collectively seated 1.5 million people. We launched the business in both New York and South Korea, uh, where one of my partners is from and some of our investors as well. So that was actually incredibly cool. We got to launch, we were in Seoul, we were in a bunch of restaurants there. Um, I think we ended up being, we were in Europe, Africa, the Caribbean, a couple of places in South America. Um, and it was a really cool experience. Um, I, we entered, I was in school at the time while we were building the platform and we ended up entering a ton of business plan competitions. We won um, one of the best uh, tech startups in New York state from the New York state business plan competition. We got some grant money from Capital One. Um, we ended up uh, competing at University of Chicago's business school uh, business plan competition. And I think we took fourth place there. We got a nice grant from them. Um, but it was, it was an amazing process. And while things were building, we decided, all right, you know what, let's, let's take a shot at this because we saw a, um, a casting call for Shark Tank. Okay. And so I'm waiting in line and you know we're talking, everyone's pretty entrepreneurial, obviously. And I'm talking to this guy, Greg, and it turns out we had some mutual friends growing up. 
and um, he was also in the restaurant space. So we hit it off. You know, we we actually went for lunch before we went back to do our actual auditions, uh, exchanged contact information. I went and pitched, and um, we got we got a call back. And I, you know, we were keeping in touch. He didn't get a call back. He continued to work on his business. Um, the thing with Shark Tank is they never tell you if you're not getting on the show. You just never get a call back. So we we made our um, uh, Moro actually edited it, our uh, uh, audition tape. So submitted that while we were waiting on that. You know, I continued to to talk with Greg, and we were initially talking about a merger, and um, they ended up raising a bunch of money. I think he took on a two million dollar investment, and uh, I think in the next year or so we decided, uh, you know we've kind of taken this app as far as we can take it and we decided to sell. And so we ended up getting acquired by a mobile Greg's company, a mobile payments company called paid easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, it was tough though. Selling the business was going, is like going through a breakup because this business was, <laughs> it was a huge part of my life for five years. Um, I spent many red, Bu- red, Bu- red, Bu- red, Bu- wow. Red Bull fueled, nights um working on this with our team um it was it was an amazing experience it's the experience that's now allowing me to help and focus on developing our platform but uh it was rough selling it you know it was cool being able to build a company launch it and sell it but it was definitely uh it was it was an emotional experience for sure getting rid of it but um it gave me the most valuable experience um I wouldn't trade that for the world. I mean, yeah, would I have wanted to be the next open table? Of course. But we, I, I was cool being able to have that experience and take the business and actually sell it. Um, and I got to meet a lot of incredible people and be a part of a lot of really cool things and, you know, get to go to some places I never would have expected to. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And then um, Hope for Hope, I actually, Hope for Hope and SmartLine started within a month of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hope for Hope is a nonprofit organization that I started with a handful of friends from high school. And our focus was providing children around the world with access to what we called the four hopes, and that is food, water, education, and shelter. And so we originally were going to be doing a project in China and ended up having to put that on hold. And while that was on hold, a good friend of ours that we had grown up with was working for an NGO in India. And on his way back from India, they wanted to implement something in Kenya. So he was sent to Kenya to buy a plot of land, and but he didn't have a project. And he came, I mean, he had a project, he didn't have like the funding and things like that. So we were all out at a bar one night, just kind of catching up. We hadn't seen him in a while. He'd been out of the country for about a year. And me and my friend told him, hey, you know, we started this organization, but our project we're gonna do is kind of on hold. And uh, he was like, well, I've got a project. And it was perfect. And it was incredible. We started doing fundraisers, you know, bar crawls in the city, basketball tournaments, dodgeball tournaments. Um, it was it was really cool. We got invited to a couple of pretty big conferences that at the time we definitely didn't feel like we should have been at. Uh, we were at the Aid for Africa conference in DC. We got to work with some incredible organizations like uh, Charity Water. And um, we built a children's home. So it is, it's on a five acre plot of land. There's about 30 orphan girls living there. We've got cattle, we've got um, our own crops that we grow. And I got to go there back in 2013 when we were first getting clean water. And it was probably 
one of the most incredible experiences and things I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, the, the organization's been on hold for a couple of years because we've all been busy with our careers and things like that, but we've been able to kind of continue to fund some of these projects. It, it was just kind of like a life-changing experience being able to be a part of that. Okay. If somebody wanted to start their own pet sitting and pet sitting business, what advice would you give them? Take advice from people. <laughs> um, so I give them some advice there, Dan. <laughs> um, I would invest time into creating or purchasing some standard operating procedures from companies that have done it before. I know there's a lot of great resources. You know, you got Pet Sitters International, you got National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. There's a ton of great consultants out there. Um, you know, Bella Vasta is one, Kristen Morrison's another. Um, I actually hired Kristen my, my second year in business, and she probably gave me one of the best piece of advice that changed my business, and that was the use of lockboxes. Do not keep keys. It is the worst thing you can do for yourself because as you grow, man, is it easy for someone to lose a key or an employee forgets to drop it off. And then you got someone who's going there at six in the morning and it's, oh my God, where is this person? Why aren't they answering their phone? You know, making sure you have the right systems. Um, do your, if, if you are planning on growing this into a, into a real business rather than like, you know, cause some people will just do this, you know, as a, as like a hobby or like, you know, a thing to fill their time. And I think that's great. Like it's great for exercise. If you love dogs, you want to be outside by all means, I fully support that. But if you want to turn this into, you know, a company that you're looking to scale, invest in infrastructure, invest in a, you know, in contracts, definitely make sure you've got, you got yourself a good attorney. Um, make sure you sell, you got yourself a good accountant because if you're not a finance person, find that person. Like you really want to make sure and be honest with yourself about where your strengths and weaknesses are. Like I am not an HR person. I am not a management person. That's why I hired the people to do that. I'm not even, you know, I'm not a video editor. I have an amazingly talented person right over here who makes our business look incredible. You know, really being comfortable with hiring for the things that you are not good at and going in deep on the things you are, but also consume as much as you can in terms of industry knowledge, read books, listen to podcasts, never, ever, ever stop learning. Just you have to constantly be looking to evolve the way that you operate. A quote that resonates with you. Absolutely. It's actually on my wall right next to me. And it is a Samuel Beckett quote. And it goes, ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again. Fail again, fail better. So no matter how many times you screw up, take it as education, growth, and just keep going. Like you're going to have days where your business kicks the crap out of you. If you're passionate about it, that'll keep you going. But just, you know, if you're excited about what you're doing, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days, but you got to keep trying.